times, Joel Delph. I'm pumped to be up here. I couldn't sleep last night. I was laying in bed. I was just vibrating. And normally the night before a sermon, I sleep real good. But like at 1 a.m., I wanted to drive to the church and just stand here and wait for y'all. God has put this word on my heart that I need to get out because some of y'all are stuck in who you think you are and you are being held back by your limited perspective to see that God wants to break through into a whole new you in Jesus' name. So we've been in this series called Reactions. And this series is based around the premise that the world does not need more people who act like Christians, but the world needs people who react like ones. And there's something special about when someone reacts the right way. In fact, when you read through the whole New Testament, it's all about a series of people who are connected to the heart of God and in the moment reacted aligned with his promises and then God moved. Peter did not bring his iPad to the day of Pentecost to preach. He was there. He was aware of how God was moving and out of the spirit of God moving through him, he reacted. People were healed that way. And so today, my prayer is that God will help you see the freedom on the other side of aligned actions and reactions to his promises. So here's Joel's Delph's um, three takeaways from this series, what I've been learning. One, reactions are often an indicator of something deeper. I think we got a picture of my family. I got four kids. At the end of the month, they'll be nine, seven, five, and three, and they're amazing. My seven-year-old, Audrey, when the clock strikes 8 p.m., your girl gets weepy about everything. Everything makes her cry. But I wanted French toast sticks. <laughs> um, my brother touched me the wrong way. He looked at me. She is so exhausted at 8 o'clock that the only thing you do with Audrey is just make sure she's horizontal because she's going to sleep in 45 seconds. She's gone. Out. But if you see her reaction at face value, then you're like, why? Why is she weeping? But her reactions are an indicator of something deeper. And your reactions and my reactions, they're the check engine light and the emotional indicator of our life. Reactions reveal what we try to conceal. In addition to having four kids, we homeschool all four of them because we like pain. <laughs> and homeschool's got a lot of benefits. But the biggest downside with homeschool, talk to me, Joe, Joe's homeschool, uh, is that your bully in class is also your brother. <laughs> the person who's annoying, that's your sister. And so sometimes living in the day-to-day, -day, I wonder, do these kids even like each other? Until someone gets hurt and then they stop what they're doing and they help their brother and sister. Or if we're in a playground and someone tries to bully their younger brother, they're like, no, 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 that's my job. Get away from my brother. <laughs> and those reactions reveal what they sometimes conceal. And that's a fun one, but have you ever had reactions speak something out loud 
for you that you really didn't want anyone to know? <laughs> uh, one time I, I got a promotion and I had two other friends who we worked together. We got hired at the same time and we lived down the street from each other. We actually started a small group together. Our wives hung out. And then somehow, some way, our boss said, hey, I got to restructure. Joel, you're the boss of your two friends. I was just as shocked as he was in the meeting because I downplay every gift that's inside of me. Inside, I'm a big critic. I'm like, Joel and all that. And one of my friends underreacted. Well, that's not that big of a deal. Nothing really changes. And my other friend overreacted. And then I saw him say something and surprise himself by saying it. You only got this promotion because you're black. <laughs> you know, I'm 40 years old. I've been starting every sentence with I'm 40 now because I turned 40 in June. I've never gotten a promotion in my life without someone saying you only got it because you're black? Huh? It's like, it's like someone gave like one person in my life in every season a memo, go tell Joel that. And racism in America, the sermon isn't about racism, calm down, you don't have to leave. <laughs> racism in America is one of those things that it used to be revealed and out in the open and now it lives concealed and those are the moments when it comes out because some reactions are generationally inherited. Do you have mindsets in your heart and in your life that your mom and dad taught you and then all of a sudden you find yourself reacting in a certain way? I saw my dad cry twice in my life. At his mom's funeral and then December 2019. Just me and him. He was in the hospital. I think he got like COVID early. Like this was uh, December of 19 and he lived in New York and he was in the hospital like day 15 and I went to see him and I had to help him in his bed and my dad was super independent and when he realized that his son was helping him like get changed, he started crying and I didn't know what to do with that. Somewhere along the way, my dad taught me that men don't cry. My dad was uh, great. He was amazing. He hugged me, told me, loved me, all the good stuff. But I never saw him cry, so I never thought that I had the freedom to. And so, two weeks ago, there's a moth in our car, and my five-year-old, uh, he starts crying because of this moth, and I find myself yelling at the purest kid I got in my life because men don't cry. I can hold you when you cry, but something inside of me says we don't do that. And oftentimes our reactions reveal what we try to conceal. Reactions are fueled by assumptions we believe about ourselves and others. Reactions are fueled by our belief systems. And that's the most hopeful thing about our reactions because if we change the belief system, then we change the reaction. And so many times when we think about the way we react, we view ourselves statically. That's just who I am. That's just who I've always been. That's just me. But 
our reactions, healthy and unhealthy, are connected to deeper belief systems that is actually the way we drive through our lives. One time I was in the car with my parents and we got hit by a Mack truck. And everyone's fine, so we were all good. But we were in the minivan, GMC Safari, anyone? Anyone had one of them things? Big old block car, yeah. I was sitting in the middle row and I saw the Mack truck coming and it hit us and it spun us around, we were fine. But the thing that blew me away about that day is my parents cried out to Jesus at the same time while this Mack truck hit us and I was like, dang. Adam, they really believe this stuff, bro. They're like for real Christians. That's what hit me at 12. Why? Because our reactions speak louder than our words and even our actions. And so today, if you have your Bibles with you, turn to John chapter 12. If you have your Bible app, turn to John chapter 12. If you got your Seacoast app, hop on there. Get your message notes ready because we're going to dive into the Word of God. And that's the thing that matters. Every single Sunday, broken people get up here and preach from the perfect Word of God. And that's what gives us light for our lives. And so let's take a moment to give careful attention to the Word of God. If you need a title for this message, We'll entitle a broken jar that changed everything. Gave us freedom. John chapter 12. Six days before the Passover, Jesus came to Bethany where Lazarus lived, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. Wait, what? Y'all sometimes read scripture too casually because that's a big sentence. Here, a dinner was given in Jesus' honor. Martha served while Lazarus was among those reclining at the table with him. Then Mary, this is Mary of Bethany. Mary is Martha's sister. Lazarus is her brother. Then Mary took about a pint of pure nard, an expensive perfume. She poured it on Jesus' feet and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, boo, I can't learn nothing from Judas. He betrayed Jesus. I would never do it myself. Boo. <laughs> so that's, that's how I read Judas's name whenever I see it pop up. <laughs> can't believe I just shared that with you. But one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, who was later to betray him, objective, objected. Why wasn't this perfume sold and the money given to the poor? It was worth a year's wages. Hey, at face value, Judas's reaction was right. Man, he's, he's the guy who keeps the money. You can trust the money guy, right? Madoff, I mean, you can trust the, the money guy, right? Um, uh, he was thinking about the opportunity cost. And guess what? If you read through the other accounts of this same story, he wasn't the only one. Instead, a bunch of the disciples were indignant about it. 
But Judas was the one who spoke up, and his reaction with what he said was actually like a real good question. Ha. Huh. He did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself with what was put into it. You can have the right reaction externally, but it's fueled by the wrong thing. Not you, someone else. Not me, someone else. Leave her alone, Jesus replied. It was intended that she should save this perfume for the day of my burial. You will always have the poor among you, but you will not always have me. Meanwhile, a large crowd of Jews found out that Jesus was there and came, not only because of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. If you ain't coming to church because your neighbor was resurrected from the dead, I don't know what will bring you to church. <laughs> Some of y'all are in church today because your neighbor stopped cussing about 5%. Like, something happened in that guy's life. I got to check it out for myself. So the chief priests made plans to kill Lazarus as well. This guy keeps dying. For on account of him, many of the Jews were going over to Jesus and believing in him. What a powerful passage of Scripture because I love that one thing is happening and there are so many different reactions in the same room. At all of our locations, we're in one room, but there's so many different emotions at play. Homework for you. Go back and read the other accounts of this story in Matthew chapter 26, Mark chapter 14, and Luke chapter 7. Hey, carve out 30 minutes this week and just go back and read it. It's going to blow your mind the more you read it. Pastor Naeem Fazel this summer, he taught us this phrase I thought was so insightful. He said, let's turn the ruby. A ruby is a three-dimensional jewel, but if you just look at it with one, at one angle, you only see part of it. And one of the best things we can do, especially when we're studying the Gospels, is read the other accounts of the same story, and there's so much that comes out. And so, when you read through the other accounts, this is what we learn. This is happening at the house of Simon the leper. Simon the leper was known by his disease, but we know he was healed because chief priests, Jews, wouldn't be in that house unless something happened to him differently. We also know that Simon the leper is also known as Simon the Pharisee. So we also know he's a religious leader in this house. We see Mary and Martha, the sisters of Lazarus. They're in this room. We see all these Jews. And let's take a moment to look at all these different angles of this one thing. So before we go into that, this is point number one. This is what you can do to change your reactions in your life. See the bigger picture. Refuse to stay stuck in your own perspective. Oftentimes, our reactions are a fruit of us being stuck in our own perspective. We only see it our way. There can't be another side to the story because our pain is speaking for us or our pride is speaking for us 
or our excitement is speaking for us. And, and so one of the best ways we can become better at walking with God is getting in the habit of seeing the bigger picture. So let's take a look at the different perspectives that were in this one room. Jesus, he just raised Lazarus from the dead. He's about to truly step into his assignment. Yeah, he came to minister to people, but he didn't come to heal just Lazarus. He came to save the world from our sins. Lazarus, he's eaten his first meal after being dead. Martha, rejoicing by cooking a meal for her brother who isn't dead anymore. Mary, rejoicing at the fact that her brother isn't dead and repenting from her sins. When you read through the other accounts, we learn that Mary from Bethany wasn't just Mary. There was something about Mary. There was something about Mary that everyone knew, and she was known as a sinful woman. I don't know what that sin was, but it was enough that every dude in the room knew who she was when she walked in. The disciples, some were celebrating, some were hating, some believing even more. Judas Iscariot, he'd been hustling Jesus for a while because he had the money, but this was the straw that broke the camel's back. After that night, he went to the chief priests to figure out a way to betray Jesus. Large crowd of Jews are there. They're there to see it for themselves. Chief priests. We're going to kill Lazarus too, again. Simon the leper, he was a Pharisee with an incurable disease until he met Jesus. And so in this one room, everyone has their perspective, but we see what Martha does to raise her level of, of, of perspective. We see what Mary does. Some of the Jews believe on Jesus more that day. Lazarus is there sitting there chilling. But if you stay stuck in your perspective, then you miss Lazarus even standing in front of you. See the bigger picture. So when you react, I want to encourage you to check and assess, well, why did I feel that way? A few weeks ago, my wife and I were hanging out with some friends. And you know the phrase, uh, nice guys finish last? Y'all know that phrase? I got a friend of mine who, he's a nice guy, but he finished first. Like, he won it all. Like, super tall, like seven foot, good looking, great hair. He's humble, but yet he's bold. He's kind. His wife loves him. His kids adore him. It's like, he got it all going on. And when we were talking, I felt myself getting jealous. Come talk to me. Come on. I felt myself getting jealous while I was talking to him. And I started getting frustrated and he wasn't boasting. He wasn't doing anything other than just being kind him. You know, just a kind guy. And when I got home that night, I was struggling with this feeling of jealousy. And I did something I normally don't do. I'm a stuffer, so I don't say my stuff out loud. And I said, babe, I, when we were hanging out with so-and-so, I started feeling jealous. And my wife's reaction ministered to me because she goes, that's not you. You're not jealous. Not all of your reactions come from the healthy part of who God has redeemed you to be. And in that moment with me actually being honest enough to say it out loud, 
My wife confronted it, and she's like, what do you have to be jealous about? And here's the thing I started to believe somewhere along my life, that if God blesses Kyle, he can't bless me. It's me or Kyle. If, if, if God blesses Matt, then that means that I don't get enough blessing of God. And I started to believe that the blessings of God are finite versus infinite for everyone who believes. And that scarcity mindset, thank you, Joel Christie, that scarcity mindset started making me see some people as competitors and I'm supposed to be cheering on the whole way around. And so taking captive that reaction from a toxic place helped me see the bigger picture. And so I started counting my blessings in bed. I was like, my wife likes me. My kids like me. My house is great. My roof doesn't leak. I drive a Ford F-150, people. Come on, somebody. The engine starts when I put the key in the ignition. I got food in my belly. And then all of a sudden, the bigger picture of what God is actually doing crept in my life. And that spirit of jealousy, I was able to reject. But if you stay stuck in your own perspective, you'll just stay there. Point number two, breakthrough costs you something and gives you everything. Taking a step closer to God is oftentimes costly. We have baptisms tonight at all the locations, and some of you know you need to take a step to go public with your faith, but that step of going public feels a little too costly for you. But that's holding you back from a breakthrough, because every single time we take a step forward in our walk with Jesus, there's always a breakthrough around the corner. And so when we look at this passage of scripture, we see that Martha and Mary both had to surrender something to receive what God was doing right in front of them. Go back to John chapter 11. And this interesting conversation happens between Jesus and Martha outside of the tomb. Martha sees Jesus and in grief, she's like, man, if you had been here sooner, my brother wouldn't have died. It had been four days, and she's living in the grief of unmet expectations. And then Jesus says, oh, man, he'll rise again. And she goes, yeah, I know he'll rise in the last day. And then Jesus says this, I am the resurrection and the life. And he says, do you believe this? And so Jesus, in that moment, is offering her salvation. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. He offers her salvation, and the only way to receive the gift is she has to give up the feeling of an unmet expectation. Remember, there's another character in this scripture, uncertainty. She doesn't know that Jesus is about to walk past her and resurrect her brother, but she receives salvation that day while her brother is still dead and unmet expectations are all that she can see when she sees Jesus Christ. And she gives up that unmet expectation, receives salvation, and God does something she didn't even know he could do. Mary, she had to give up perfume, something costly to worship God, 
something she held on to. She loved that nard so much that she did not break it to prepare her brother's body for burial after he died. But when she saw Jesus and all that he did, she knew that there was nothing that she couldn't give him that would repay him for what he had done for her. So she goes armed with her perfume and her shame. Scripture says she walks in weeping. Have you, have you ever walked in the room where everyone was different than you? When I walked in for Chosen, I never felt more male. <laughs> like, y'all, it's really, I felt really insecure. Like, my pink shirt didn't hide me at all. Like, imagine being a woman in this celebration primarily with men, and everyone knows what you do, what you did, what your problems were. And to get to the feet of Jesus, she had to walk a little bit past her shame. And she's pouring out her shame through tears at Jesus' feet and washing his feet with her hair and with everything she has. And in that moment, Jesus says, your sins are forgiven. And she received everything when she gave up what she previously thought was costly to her. Lately, I've, I've, I've got a lot on my plate at work and at home. And I feel like sometimes like I'm crumbling under that weight. In March or April, a friend of mine invited me to this trip uh, out to Wyoming. And I'm not an outdoorsy dude. I'm going to keep it 100 with you. Ah, it's not my thing. And it was like 23 other dudes. I'm like, I know some of them. I don't know all of them. But it was so far in advance, I just like said, yeah, I'll do it. And as the date crept up to this trip, one of the guys on the trip said, hey, just so you know, spiritual warfare always comes right before the trip, and everyone has an excuse as to why they can't come. And the week before the trip, everything broke loose. One of our kids got sick, and we got a pending doctor's thing, and that's real, like, just scary things here in, in the church became complicated. I'm like, oh, gosh, I can't go on this trip. And then my wife, who's, who's my pastor, she goes, hey, you think maybe God preordained for you to go on this trip with these dudes? What if it's a divine appointment? And I was like, yeah, but like, I want to work and I want to make sure everyone knows I'm doing my job. And she's like, no, you need to go. And so I go to this trip. I go to Wyoming. And she also told me this. She said, hey, you know, the black guy is the first to die in movies when people go in the forest. <laughs> So she said, she said, if you see yourself going down a road, you don't know where it ends. Just turn on back. <laughs> I was mid-hike with a bunch of people, and I'm like, nope, not going there. <laughs> I got to ride a horse. Check out my horse. Diesel's his name. <laughs> He's one of them Budweiser draft horses, you know, seven feet tall. Well, I got away. I got quiet. And God started speaking to me. One of the, the things that I believe is that I have to be perfect. And so I, I wrote that down in my journal. God, is it okay for me not to be perfect? And he led me to this passage of scripture 
that said in Psalm chapter 5, Surely, Lord, you bless the righteous. You surround them with your favor as with a shield. And I realized, like, man, I need a shield around me. And the amazing part of the favor of God being a shield around me is that it protects what I can't see. And God wouldn't have given me that word if I didn't stop to get quiet just for a second. If I gave up my crazy schedule, you have crazy schedule, I got crazy. Everyone's busy, 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 busy. And we cannot hear from God. But breakthrough happens when we give up something that we think is costly for us so we can gain everything. Lastly, I just want to say this. It's okay to be skeptical. Just don't stay there. It's okay to be skeptical. This world, you have to be wise as a serpent, as Scripture says, and harmless as a dove. You have to be able to test things that you see. But a spirit of skepticism deprived chief priests who were astute in the law of God to miss Lazarus sitting in front of them. They saw Lazarus as someone who was holding them back from more power than Lazarus as confirmation that God was at work. What I love about Jesus is he hears the stuff we don't say out to anyone. Luke chapter 7, it says this, when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, saw this was Mary pouring out the nard at the feet of Jesus, he said to himself, if this man were a prophet, he would know who is touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. You know what? We never get more self-righteous than when we can see someone else's sin. Oh, man, it's so simple when we see someone else's sin, but we got the grace of God for ourselves. Remember, Simon was known as the leper, but somehow he got healed and he's not that anymore. He should have been the first to understand the power of God, but somehow he got back on his high horse that was comfortable. Jesus answered him, Simon, I got something to tell you. Tell me, teacher. Two people owed money to a certain money lender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now, which of them will love him more. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You judge correctly. Hmm. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. Hmm. You did not give me a kiss. But this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You did not put oil on my head, but she has poured oil, perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven as her great love has shown. What a powerful passage of scripture where 
Jesus is addressing the skepticism that was holding Simon back from freedom and healing. And believer, you need to lose your skepticism. I need to lose my skepticism because it holds us back from seeing God at work. So today, I'd love to take a moment to pray for you that whatever area of your life where there's unbelief, God will meet you right there. Your reactions that are being fueled by a limited perspective of who you used to be versus who God is creating you to become. Let's take a moment to present all that to God. Father, we thank you so much for the gift of your love. We thank you so much for the gift of your miracles that are alive and active in our life. Right now, when we sit in the room of our lives, there's a Lazarus that's sitting right in front of us. Something that we once thought was dead is living. And if we're not careful, we'll miss it. We thank you, Lord God, for the sacrifice and obedience of Mary and Martha to meet Jesus, and see him for who he is. We ask you, Lord God, that you will turn our skepticism into faith. That you'll turn our skepticism into an honest assessment of who we are, where we're at, and will you change us from the inside out? We pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. Amen.